You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Thanks for joining us for another Land and Legacy podcast right here on Sportsman's Nation. Habitat Heroes podcast. I guess that name stuck. Uh, I guess so. Nobody, it was kind of one of we those like, like that was when, stupid guys. When I, when I said it to you guys, you guys didn't veto it, and then nobody else vetoed it. So I guess it's one no of those things. No one wants things. to be that guy. I guess not. So, <laughs> and I'm your host, Adam Key. Matt Dye. And we have another special podcast for you guys right in the heart of preseason hunting everybody's getting ready shooting the bows and just getting pumped up because deer season is just around the corner actually it or, is opened up in a, or in a couple up. places south carolina tennessee people are killing deer already which is mind-blowing but it is that time of the year ready or not it's here it's happening and um we're getting ready we're getting ready for a trip so there's a lot of anticipation out there, a lot of people blowing it up on social media, and it just gets the juices flowing. That's right. We're all pumped up because we've been getting about a bajillion age of this questions. That um, seems like that's that's the thing. That might be the most popular thing going around social media right now um, with people building a hit list and trying to get aware of what the age structure is or what kind of bucks they have on their farm. And the next question is, how old is he? Um, which gets followed up with the question that I always ask, well, do you want to shoot him or not? And uh, I had that question just two days ago. Um, and so, as a, once again, a reminder, shoot what makes you happy. Shoot what's going to get you guys to come back next year and buy more tags and uh, get more people involved. Get anyway. someone else to experience that rush. That's right. That feeling. So our challenge to all of you is take somebody new hunting this year. Um, get somebody out there that hasn't been in five, ten years, or get somebody who's never been. And uh, maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a person just down the office aisle from you. Um, but 
take some new people hunting. Um, so anyway. This week is, I think, going to be a, a unique podcast. Um, I think this was another one that we've been brewing on for a little while. Um, this term we threw out as we were driving down a country road one day, gravel road, and then I saw it come up um, from another friend of ours, texted and uh, said something just like this phrase, really similar, and it kind of stuck. And, and we've done a, a podcast on this in the past, um, basically talking about monocultures. And I think that term itself, in, in general, is just a newish term. Um, but it's one that kind of makes you cringe a little bit when you understand it, and you understand the greater, um, whether it's complications or the end result after. Um, a monoculture, but we're taking this a, a step further and not just talking about habitat necessarily, but talking about a monoculture mindset and what that mindset of having maybe just a single focus um, when you're out doing things or out trying to manage land or you're out hunting. You know, if you just have one goal in mind, what's the result of that? you know, good, bad, or ugly, short-term, long-term, what does that look like when you're sitting up in the stand and you're only focusing on one target deer? Or, or um, gosh, it doesn't have to be just a deer. But oh, and I think to, to get people to really think about this, when they hear us talk monoculture so much, is eastern red cedar monoculture, switchgrass monoculture, food plot monocultures, but it's kind of a whole an overall focus on one thing or one goal. Um, it could be a focus on one one field that's all soybeans in production, what the result of that is long-term, what the result is when you focus on just one buck or, or shooting a specific type of, of animal uh, on, your, on your farm. Um, the greater deer herd, what's the result of that? Man, it, using one type of management technique on your farm. Whether that be something, uh, maybe it's just using prescribed fire. What the, what is going to happen if you do that? And that's what this whole podcast is about. Is kind of the one, and I don't even want to say species because it's more than that. It's, it's the not, one yeah. mindset, the the one thing approach, or the the it it's could a be species. Topic it could mindset. be there. It is, and uh, so that's what our real main focus is because. We're going to cover so many things. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to cover so many things in this podcast about um, the difference between um, one species and multiple species. And so there's hunting strategy and, and there's all kinds of different things on this podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoy it and share it. And, and hopefully it's one of those things that <coughs> opens your mind too about maybe what what's the goal that you guys have long-term for a property or your goal for this coming season. Hopefully, you know, it's, a, it's timed right that as people are starting to really, uh, whether it's develop a hit list or develop um, their goals for this hunting season, you'll take into effect what, what's being said and what's being shared and say, okay, maybe, maybe I'll adjust or tweak my goals just a little bit because, you know, I, I don't want that in the long run or I don't, I don't want to go through that I want to avoid this problem. I don't want to go through this phase, whatever it may be. Um, but the first one, I guess, really on the list is is what we talked about or kind of gave that example of, you know, just targeting, having one specific deer that is top of the list. Everything that you do, 
management wise, <laughs> food plot wise, the time that you put into a deer stand, why you hunt, where you hunt is all focused around targeting one specific deer. And there's so many people out there that really do that though. I mean, I think everyone's ton. been guilty of it at some point or, or at least a portion of a season, which <clears throat> that is not a big deal because then your efforts are sp- spread out throughout the rest of the season on maybe other deer or targeting does a very specific portion of a year or a season. But when you go in to a season, day one, opening day, all the way to the close of the season, just focused on one specific deer and saying nothing else matters. If I feel like there's good chances, you know, I'm, I'm passing all these other deer, I'm passing all these does, I'm only shooting this one buck. What are we going to see as a result of that? And in most likely case, there's going to happen. And this is this takes years to progress um, and, and to build up. However, it doesn't take long to get a couple seasons under your belt and starting to see results of this in, in a deer herd and that's <clears throat> irregular sex ratios <clears throat> irregular rut timing um, extended fawning season and growing population of deer if you're only going into the woods to focus on one single buck you're certainly going to pass up opportunities to take does that's just going to happen because a lot of times the threat is i don't want to lose or miss out on an opportunity, spook a buck or get into that area that's like super sensitive, right? You uh, avoid it. We have we have only ten stands and we put them all in places where it's very intrusive and it's like, okay, when I go to hunt that stand, I'm going to kill that buck. Mm-hmm. And then we we forget to keep an eye on the overall population health or ratio, and you go two seasons where you're only shooting one or two bucks. And you're not shooting any does, yeah, and, and things, and, things and, change or rapidly, or you're only hunting during the time of the year, uh, October through November, late October through early November, and you're like, I don't really want to deal with the doe. I don't have time to deal with the doe right That's now. The most common thing, yep. and it's like those typically. And I get cracked up a lot when I think of this because um, I don't want to shoot a doe during this time of the year. But then late season, you're like, I'm busy. I don't want to deal with messing with does. Your hunting early season, I don't want to deal with a doe because she's covering ticks. And then follow up a couple conversations later. I'll kill every coyote I see. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, it doesn't have, have to be conversations later. It's the sentences. Them later. dang bears are eating all the fawns, and it's yeah, or they're doing your job <clears throat> for you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if if you're in that mindset though, that hey, I'm not, I'm not gonna take any does. And I, I thought about it when you were talking there. You know, trail cameras. What's the reason for the trail camera? Is it just to categorize or or figure out who's on the farm, or is it to figure out how many deer are on the farm? Like the mindset gets translated, a monoculture mindset of just a target buck gets translated into trail cameras. Why are you doing it? Are you using, are you, are you trying to estimate how many deer you really need to take off this year? Or are you just trying to pattern one deer? Like how many doe groups are in this field at night? How many doe groups are over here? If you don't shoot some of them, guess what? There's going to be more next year. Yeah. But are you just skipping through those pictures? Are you taking account 
what's happening on the farm? I, I Do think you have utilization or grazing or yeah. whatever you call them, cages, exclusion cages out to see what kind of browse pressure? And a lot of people, okay, you know, okay, we say you're hunting a target buck. Well, they like to see deer and they like to see does. That's, you know, everyone likes to see deer when they're hunting. They're like, okay, that's, that's not a big deal because it doesn't affect my deer or the big buck or how big they're going to get. But it, it does. And we talked a little bit about, um, well, I guess with Seth in this week's hunting podcast, <clears throat> is the aspect of social stress among a deer herd. And that is huge. And he, he shares plenty of examples um, of that. But over time, when limiting, when resources become limited and their stress among a deer herd, antler sizes decrease. Overall, like yeah. even if they're an older age classes, if they haven't grown up in the ideal habitat, if they're stressed because there's so many individuals trying to operate in one system, they become stressed and they don't produce as big of antlers. So again, in the long or, run. Or they just move to another property mm-hmm. or another part of their home range to where the really nice buck you were getting on camera is now gone and you can't figure out why. But then every night there's 15 does and little ones and young bucks out in a food plot. And it's like, well, he doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. We've got to understand, the, I guess, the if you, if you will, the composition of age structure and what that has to, or should look like on a farm to be able to hunt those deer successfully. And the thing is, if you have that monoculture mindset for many years, you're going to start seeing way too many does. You're going to start seeing possibly decreases in, in antler size. And this is, again, as, as an average. You might have that one that just blows up. Well, that's that's awesome and, and super happy. But the average mature deer is going to decrease in environments where they are stressed. Um, I mean, we think about it. I think we're probably outside the norm a little bit when we say, could, could we move to <clears throat> Chicago and, and be congested with all those people? Like, we know that crime rates go up. Like, Heck no. They're stressed environments, and they're because there's so many people living in such tight quarters. Some That's people it. can handle it. I, I, I totally get that. And, and I'm comparing humans and deer. So it's not a great example, but I'm just saying, personally, me, I would be freaking out. I would not be. I would not handle it. I would not it survive well. in that environment at all. I would be the deer that's like, moving to a new farm. I'm getting out of here. But that, again, is it could be a result of that monoculture mindset of just having or just hunting for the fact of one big buck a year. And, you know, there's some properties that you may lease and you only go to for a small portion of the year. But if you're paying to hunt that property for an entire year and you only have 10 days to do it, you still have a duty, though, to hunt that property and manage the deer herd on that property. I think uh, that gets forgotten, I think, in some leases because it's super important to take on responsibility as a new farm as your own. Yeah, no and matter I think, how much you're hunting. Out for sure. When I think, you know, if when I go back to that conversation about kind of deer populations and and just to give another one, I I like to think of and have conversations with people that aren't hunters. Because there are especially farmers because they look at the land a lot differently than us in a lot of instances. And I think of the Kansas farm. We were not allowed to shoot coyotes there. Mm -hmm. We were not allowed because the fact that 
he knew we already had too many deer on that farm. Yep. And he said, no, you can't shoot the coyotes because guess what? They're doing your job because you guys are only here for seven days out of the year. Well, and, and we weren't allowed to leave or we had to come back. To shoot a to doe. Shoot if we wanted to come back the next year. Yeah. yeah. So it was we had to shoot a doe and we couldn't shoot the coyotes. And it was because there was so much crop damage out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think of, you and know. This is, this is an area that's got, is surrounded by ag though too. It's not yeah. like a, you know, that he's the only crop farmer in, you know, 10 mile radius. Yep. He, he's, there's crops everywhere. Crops Ever. everywhere, but there's deer everywhere. Yep. And so, I, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting, his, the different mindsets you get whenever you step away. Yeah. Um, whenever you look at a lease and going, okay, what can I do? I'm only there seven days out of the year. Like, it's pretty difficult to do your part in doe management. It, it, it is. It's, it's yeah. very difficult to, to, let's just say, I'm only going to be there seven days out of the out of the week, but then on the very next instance, gripe about seeing too many does or just uh-huh. having too many deer, so you can't or eat the food you, plot. You only hunt the rut, and it's like, oh, this rut sucked. It was yeah. bad. Well, there's probably a lot of does, a lot of opportunities for the bucks to breed. You doesn't have to go very far to no. find the next one, right? Yeah. So it, it basically it's it becomes a prioritizing what it is, or I gotta for, apologize before you go into that. They're gonna hear me clear my throat so many you got times. Got frog in there, man. The ragweed. Oh yeah, it's blooming. It we is saw, blooming. My truck was yellow yesterday, and, and yesterday I was on the four wheeler quite a bit and dusty and yeah. And so they're gonna hear a lot of <clears throat> this in in this podcast, and that's all I'm sure they're gonna because enjoy that. yeah, <laughs> they're for sure. Uh, but it comes down to ragweed. My favorite. That's right. is, is jacking this is the me up. The time of the year, it's like, yeah, well, I'll just suffer through it. Try and give you a little left hook, but it's what's th- happened when you're a weed farmer. That's right. So it, this goes back though to diversifying your mindset of okay, having an encompassing objective versus one specific goal uh, for the entire season. I think that's that's super important. Um, I, I guess it. This is a good time to bring in like the nerdy ecological talk but if you like populations or or anything biology related like it lives in a balance um basically in between a threshold and within that threshold over time you have highs and lows but it always gets back to equilibrium um down the road or throughout an extended period of time it will balance itself back out but what happens when we have these mindsets and we actually act on them for years and years and years we disrupt that equilibrium and then we have extreme highs and extreme lows that are beyond that threshold and then we're like wait what happened what happened to all my bucks or what happened to the quality of my bucks like they're not the same level because of your mindset and you acted on the mindset and now you've disrupted this equilibrium that's supposed to happen i want everybody to think about the farms that they've hunted and the amount of bucks and does they've killed and say and just write it down okay in 2015 we killed this many bucks and in 2016 we killed this or 2015 we killed this many does and look and see just how out of whack i don't think it becomes we don't really think about it until you put it on paper well and that's you know i was just thinking as you were saying that maybe we should just like make a uh, a printable PDF version or something of like this little hunting journal that people can print off and, and just write stuff down because labeling, 
writing it down, creating this journal to yeah. document this. There's stuff another idea cool. that we just gave away. Yeah. I, mean, I, would, I know it's been done. I before, would like but. a journal in that, like, what is that? Uh, uh, right in the rain? Right in the rain. That's yeah. it. That paper. Yeah. But it says, like, it's a journal. What the weather was, what the barometric pressure was, all this mm-hmm. information, and then how many deer you saw, what you saw, what they were feeding on, what they were doing. And you just carry it in a tree stand every time you write did it you down. you have to say that out loud? Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's copyrighted already, by the way, so. FYI. It'll yeah. be released next week. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, um, <clears throat> I think, because I can think of a time where you and I put, put this on paper, mm-hmm. and it was quite shocking to go, wow, there was 16, um, or there was eight bucks killed, and... Um, only six does. Yep. And food plots are getting hammered. Crushed. What's going? Hey, okay. In the we next need year, to change something. there's nine bucks killed, and there's five does killed. It's like there's a there's a problem here. Um, we're killing too many does, or we're killing too many, t- too many bucks and not enough does, and then we're still complaining about too much browse pressure. Yeah. Like we got to change something. And, and, and I, I don't think, I think a lot of times we don't think about like even, even a hunting strategy, if you just put it in your head, it's like, okay, that's great. But, or you look at trail camera pictures. I'll use a, a great example. Cause this occurred to me just not too long ago. Look at trail camera images throughout the fall. And you're like, okay, yeah, I kind of have a pretty good idea. Enter it on deer lab and go, Whoa, I, I didn't know he was doing that. Yeah. And yeah. so I think cataloging and really trying to focus on writing stuff down. It needs to be an app. Yeah. needs to be an app. That's Sorry, it. Just, just threw it out there. Everyone's <clears> on their <throat> phone in the tree stand. That's it, yeah. Might as well just start documenting what the heck you're seeing. And that's uh-huh. the thing. Uh, we're always talking about after a hunt or, or during a hunt. It's like if, if a group of deer move by or something, well, usually someone's trying to shoot them. But if a group of deer move by or out in the distance, it's like, did you just see that deer eat that? Or what are they? What are they munching on down there? Like, cause you could see them just like maybe paw at the ground or like move something around, and then they're sitting there feeding for thirty seconds. Like, I wonder what it is they're after, and you know, it's just taking note, making conversation, watching how deer are using the terrain and and or browsing as they're walking through the woods. Whatever it is, take notice of that. Yeah. Uh, how many times have you seen a deer in, in the summer, especially like? Seth has done a pretty good job. We were there last week watching deer out in his strat and soybean field. Mm-hmm. And now there was a little bit of mare still, but there wasn't a lot of like poke weed no. and ragweed coming up in that field. And how many times have you seen a food plot though that's got that and the deer comes out and browses a little bit on the and then it just goes to that bush and just eats and eats mm-hmm. and eats and eats and eats. It's like, man, they love that stuff. Yeah. But if you hadn't really known what weed it was, you just think, oh, I, you don't catalog it. You just, yeah, whatever. You just, I, or you just say, I need to go kill that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I need, to go, year, I need, I need get... to go spray that for yeah. it makes seed. Yeah. It definitely, uh, definitely something that um, I think we are all, we should all focus more on. And I, I think that just, guys, going back to that monoculture mindset, it's so easy to get into that. Like, and, and, and I say that because I've been guilty of, of doing some of this stuff in the past. And it's like, you, you have to stop and consider 
what what again is the end result of this? Am I getting closer to an objective or am I distancing myself and what the deer herd, the resource that it is, am I getting farther away and stopping and thinking about what you're doing? You've, you've got to do that, whether you're it's hunting or just life in general. Um, but to me, I, there's one thing that you go when you focus on one species and it's like, I want to kill a mature buck. If you focus 100% of your time, you're laying awake at night, staring at the ceiling going, I want to harvest that buck or that buck. And you do that and to where you completely change it to where that is now your game, which I'm saying is fine as long as you can step back and say, I need to also focus on the overall whole picture of better land. If I went year after year after year focusing on just one buck, what would happen? I wouldn't shoot does. Yep. My deer population would grow. Mm-hmm. Would I would have a have, rut, most likely. I would have a worse rut. Extended fawning seasons. Extended fawning seasons, so the overall health of the deer herd would decrease. My habitat would decrease because there would be more deer feeding on my native vegetation and food plots, so there would be... A, a, a lower amount of quality forage available. Therefore, the buck size and health would also decrease, so smaller antlers. Yep. And then I would be focused on that so much to where I could slip away in the overall management, so maybe I'm not doing TSI as much, I'm not doing prescribed fire as much, so the habitat goes down even more. Or, or you're making your entire deer herd more susceptible to diseases or extremes <clears throat> of diseases. Or higher winter kill because that is such a higher population. Um, and it seems silly that, that we're talking about that's a, a slippery slope, but yeah. that's what happens. And, and I, I say that, and we're having the podcast because we see it happen. Like we are fortunate enough to be on lots of different farms across the country and experience different hunters and their goals and objectives and deer populations. But 100%, this is a real thing. And, and I don't want to. In five years, we've watched the amount of people go from. I mean, that was kind of what I was leaning towards at the beginning of the podcast when I talked about the age of this question. When I have 13-year-old kids, 15-year-old kids sending me pictures of bucks that are nice three-year-old bucks and saying, how old do you think this deer is? And I'm going, as a 21-year-old, I'd have shot that buck every day of the week and been thrilled. How many times, how many kids are like this across the country to where they watch outdoor television or they watch something and they're like, I, I guess I only need to be shooting mature bucks. That's 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 the end game. That's what we're going for. That's the trophy. Mm-hmm. But you do that to where three years in a row you haven't killed anything and now you're getting a little bit, this isn't, this isn't quite as fun as they make it look like on TV. Well, and that's the thing is, okay, if you're a 13-year-old kid, obviously, dude, Shoot what makes you happy, what what we say. But someone's out there, I've got 40 acres, or I've got 100 acres. I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I can't have that big of an impact or that much of an impact if I'm only targeting deer. My biggest question to you is, what are your neighbors doing? Because yeah. you have to look, you can't look at the micro uh, version of your property and think that, you know, you're going to make this massive impact. It's a collective, it's a neighborhood. So are other people shooting does? 
obviously you need to, to do your part and take part of that in that greater neighborhood. But you may be the person who needs to make up because your neighbors aren't, though, too. Yeah. Where where legal and you can take it. You know, or form a QDMA of, branch or co-op. And that's the other portion of this is quality – it's quality deer management. It's not quality buck management. So a big portion of what QDMA is based on is a focus on antlerless deer and, and removing and keeping a balance there within the population. Um, yes, they do talk about getting deer to maturity. They don't make that claim that you have to be of a certain age to shoot this or that or whatever. It's quality deer management as an overall concept so it's not a monoculture concept of a buck it's a deer herd population and that's why we talk about them so much but that's why we're having the conversation because it's a overall concept of as a hunter this is what you need to be doing i mean your deer tags i don't think say typically buck only it's probably either sex in most states. Either sex. Sometimes you will get buck only, but then it's not mature buck only. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and going with that, if your neighborhood's not shooting does, if your neighborhood is, I'll, I'll flip it and say, if your neighborhood is, is shooting all kinds of bucks, they're shooting any buck, you can say, okay, maybe I need to form a QDMA branch and co-op and say, hey, let's focus on, on trying to make healthier deer and let deer get older maybe that's your approach or you're just going you know what i'm a 13 year old boy and i haven't shot many deer and my neighborhood is shooting a lot of good young deer i'm going to enjoy this for a while and and shoot what makes you happy either way the end goal if we're looking big picture isn't i want to train my neighbors to only grow mature deer or i want to train my neighbors to only shoot this I'm going in game, big picture. I am training my neighbors to improve the land so we have much better habitat, big picture. And I'm going to teach and help more people get in the outdoors so more people can enjoy it. So basically, what you just said is I'm going to follow QDM principles and start a co op? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> That's it. But it's, but it's the reality of, of the situation when we talk about. Minus the quail part. I don't believe they yeah. mentioned quail a whole yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> but where we're at, I guess, though, is hunters. Um, and where we're at right now in the season as we're making preparations for down the road, you know, what's go- what is your season going to look like um, come come November? Because we talked about it. It's like if you're, only, if you're laying, laying awake at, at night, because there's times where I'm still doing that, trying to connect dots, like, even though I'm not just focused on a buck, like mm. I want to shoot does too. But what what if you're the guy or, or here, let me guess, say this. Here's a way to break up your season to accomplish many goals and not have a monoculture mindset throughout an entire season. September 15th, whatever your opening day is, October 1, start whacking does. If you don't have a buck pattern, start whacking does. Prepare yourself for the November when you have a good chance at harvesting a mature buck. Connect the dots then, but make sure your objective of targeting the number of mature does that you need to be taking is accomplished, and then move on. Or and that's why it. that's why I'd like to have multiple stands, multiple food plots, if possible, sure. multiple places to hunt. That way, you can you don't have to go into your best spots to shoot the does. You can go yeah. in 
Because at the end of the day, we're just as much of a serious hunter as we are land ranch. Oh, eh, yeah. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. I find it myself. It the time of the year. I, 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 I see myself focused way more on, I, I told my wife this yesterday as we took the ride on the four-wheeler. I find myself like stopped and like, oh, wow, look at that flower. Oh, look at the butterfly on it. Mm-hmm. When I, There was never a chance that I would have been like that growing up. I wonder if that's but, a four-and-a-half-year-old butterfly on Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a whole other story when we talk monarchs because I've been seeing a lot lately, and it's that time of the update. year where they're starting yep. to migrate back, right. and it's like the little journey that thing goes through is fascinating. But anyway, you know I think – what. what? We ought to do a podcast on it. Just a complete non-game, like, let's blow people's mind about non-game species. Like, the the crazy facts about them. We talk about deer, quail, turkeys all yeah, the time. Yeah, let's which do is, it. Which is awesome. Like, I love it. That That's where my heart's at. But it goes beyond that, too, because we have such an appreciation for all these other critters that are just equally as as amazing. I just don't put my 30 yard pin on them and shoot them like that's, that's the only it. difference right and i don't really fill my freezer up with a bunch of earthworms you <laughs> yeah know? or or uh blackbirds the european starling just doesn't do it for me no um but just educate on that was a terrible example european starling the non-native you get out of here yeah, when, when he said that i was like the only Where's thing i could think this? of is uh <laughs> i know in europe they just they just poop on every oh yeah like they're the france pigeon. i think is horrible where they're just yeah. coat them Oh yeah. Oh, disgusting. But birds, whatever. We're. I think we should each just pick an animal and talk about how crazy it is. So he just said it right there. We're, so in the coming podcast, we're going to talk about the birds and the bees. <laughs> <laughs> hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the birds and the bees, the European starlings, and the uh, and the native pollinator bees. Um. No, I, I think we ought to. People are like, sure. during hunting season? What, why not? Let's do it. That, that's why we have two podcasts. That's because right. we want to be able to talk. You got excited about that. I did. Because, <laughs> because last year, there was so much I wanted to talk about oh, during hunting season. So much stuff. But, and it was like, we can't, talk about, we can't talk about food plots or timber stand improvement because it's November. Yeah. We got to be talking about the rut. But yeah. now we have it broke up where we can do both. And hey, we've diversified. We diversified. We don't have a That's monoculture right. podcast. Anymore. And just wait, we're just getting started. <laughs> That's right. Um, and and I so, so to me, we'll do that podcast talking about the other species. Um, Maybe we'll wait for Zach to come in, and he can bring a third animal in this game that's right no i'm going to talk about let's break it down on all kinds of different animals but that's the other podcast let's focus on this one i guess to me we're we're planning another podcast we haven't even finished this one (laughs) well thanks to dan johnson and his elk hunt we're on sunday suicide mission that's right we've got three three podcasts podcasts, two and a half hours on this of recording of recording hey that's all right dan maybe we don't even know what the next two topics are going (laughs) to be on Maybe one day we'll be cool and go on an elk hunt too. That's it. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to make the big bucks and, <laughs> yeah. and go out there and do it. Well, he's um, got that cushy office job. Ain't that right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. So to me, um, getting back into this whole monoculture mindset, and we're focused on just one buck, and what happens when we do that? I think we go in and we start making. I might step on some toes here. Get ready. Um, we start focusing on that one buck. So we start scouting out and trying to find his buck bed 
we start trying to make a bedding area by raking out and making log, laying logs in there and trying to say, I want this buck to lay here. But that doesn't amount to a hill of beans in the habitat world. And that's, so we start devoting. Micro. That's like looking things through a magnifying glass. and To, to try and kill a one specific buck. Yeah. Like we're going out and doing that during January and February and March when there's signs still everywhere, but the leaves haven't, we haven't gone through spring green up. And that is the one of the very best times to really knock out a pile of habitat management work and habitat improvement. And yet we focused on trying to find and create beds for one specific buck. That drives me bonkers. Well, and, and I think someone might say, well, what about you guys trying to figure out, you know, a specific deer's pattern? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm not going to say it's different, but if you're supplementing that activity with additional habitat work throughout the rest of the year, great. That's awesome. But make sure you're still taking part of doing that. Get as much information as you can, but still have a rounded mindset of the overall objective of what it is that hunters, land managers, outdoorsmen, and women should be doing here's here's what having the best habitat in the neighborhood can cause you can have the best habitat in the neighborhood whether it's big track or little track if it's big track you have the ability to generationally change the overall potential of a herd small scale you have the potential to bring in bucks that are their home range overlaps your property but they may have spent most of their year on the neighbor that and you never got a picture of him but since you have the best habitat he wanders on chasing a receptive doe or you have the best cover in there from bedding thickets or old field management or whatever it is native grass to where he comes in there and now he stays that's what i enjoy about it it's changing the habitat so much to where i don't i i know there's a lot of healthy bucks out there and a lot of mature bucks but now i have the ability to really change the landscape because I've I have made something so great that any deer that overlaps his home range on the property when the pressure hits there have I have a better chance of pulling them onto my property. Now I have the and I also have the best food in the neighborhood with food plots and young forest to where during those stressful periods of time I know that they have the food they need and if that falls during hunting season I've got them by the I've got them by the string on my land, basically. <laughs> and that's what's exciting to me. Not, oh, yeah. I don't plant these food plots to say, okay, I'm going to kill so-and-so buck in this field. It's it's a chance. There's a really good chance he's doing it. To me, But that's there's like, a great chance that I'm going to get to enjoy a lot of deer there, and I'm going to get to feed a lot of deer there to where if if I step away, there's still plenty of habitat yeah. for them to It's the cherry on. on top. That's it. Like you, you don't get to have the cherry without the ice cream, <laughs> the meat and potatoes uh, of it all. Uh, and I just was thinking there, I, I got a little sidetracked and I'm sure you were crushing it and nailing it, but I, I just couldn't help but think right there and have a little mind brain storm. What are we teaching kids right now or young hunters with a monoculture mindset of, of targeting just a specific deer? Like Nonsense. That's what we're teaching them. <laughs> Nonsense. That's it. Well, it got me thinking, it's like, I wonder how many, like, my buck to doe ratio harvest is in my life. Like, what if I didn't 
kill all those does that I've been fortunate enough to experience and share with family, friends? And, and what if I didn't have all the ex- experience because I was so focused on getting a buck? Like, obviously, my harvest number would just drop way out the bucket. Like, uh, I think you'd you know be what I mean? Sca- I, I'll, I'll tell you what would happen for me if I – and I think I've said this on podcasts. But as a kid, I wasn't as addicted on the outdoors. Like, I enjoyed tractors and four-wheelers and things like that way more. Trace Sledding. Women. Chasing, yeah, chasing women, <laughs> playing wiffle ball, like yeah. hunting wasn't this thing that I thought about Cutting year round. Um, it was much more going to the pool. Yep. Um, I thought more on that stuff than going. Okay, I want to go and I want to go deer hunting. I one time I was fourteen years, no, thirteen years old. Missouri had our first ever Missouri youth season. Mm-hmm. I might have been 12. I can't remember. I skipped it and went to a uh, baseball tournament in Mississippi that I wasn't even playing in. My my buddy was playing in it. That was stupid. And I'm like, I'm going to go. And, and Sorry. I, I, that was stupid. <laughs> and and now I look back and I'm like, man, that's how I didn't – I, mean, I wasn't I, as addicted on the outdoors. I get it like everyone's objectives. And, and it changes throughout everyone's life or everyone uses the term hunting career – Whatever you want to call it, I hadn't I hadn't hit the ball over the net yet. By the way, <laughs> what <laughs> the YouTube comment? I hadn't hit the ball oh, over oh, the yeah, net yeah. yet. <laughs> um, sorry, didn't cut you off there. But to, uh, me, to me, that's what it's about. Like, if you go down, if you ask that question and you look at, okay, what about kids who are going to be growing up focused on ch- killing mature deer and focus on one specific buck? We're going to have a generation of kids that don't get addicted on the outdoors like the generation before them and yeah, the generation before totally. them. Totally. Because the success rate is much lower. You're, you're, it's like I don't start out playing baseball expecting to hit a home run my first at bat. Yeah. Like that's not what – if I expected that, I wouldn't enjoy – baseball nearly be, as you'd much you'd be really disappointed i'd be very <laughs> didn't hit my first home run until my senior year of high school so yeah, uh yeah to me and that ball all four years and all, yeah but and, hey and so to me that's what that's what we get when we focus and that's what scares me when baseball, i see it talked about so much in the hunting world yeah. of mature deer mature deer mature deer to where now we have this pounded in kids heads and and we see it on a daily basis with younger kids asking us the question how old is this deer? They're too young to ask that question. <laughs> You're not mature enough yet. That's it. Go you, shoot a spike. You haven't I'm even kidding. killed – you haven't shot enough shoot deer to want. be ethical to really have the understanding of, of how to do it. You're just like, I got to shoot a mature deer because that's what so-and-so on TV tells me I got to Here's the comparison I, I think that may make sense for people. Okay, Adam, you hit a home run your senior year. Yep. Uh, but you probably hit out tons of, a of field that was 260. No, it doesn't matter. So it was probably about a 120. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it was it was probably more like a 110 because okay. the wind was blowing Mat- out. I'm a sure 110. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so but baseball games, and I don't know baseball very well. Yeah. But baseball games are running are won with base hits. Yeah. Okay, so well, pitching is what they say. But. Okay, just humor my <laughs> my example okay. here. So it's one with with runs, base hits. Doesn't yeah. have to be a home run. It can come in many different forms. That's right. But that's that's the way I think we're gonna win hunters or young hunters and teach hunters how to develop themselves, if you will, as a hunter. Hitting singles, singles, button bucks, does, 
whatever, get, uh, like, there's a, a level that you get to or you have to, like, I don't know, you don't have to go through, but it's just, it's funner. It's more enjoyable. Funner. That's said. a great word, isn't that it? That is a really good I word. Just, you must have learned that one in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Where I shot tons and tons of does. Yeah. And enjoyed every minute of it. And still do. Yeah. Still do. Like, we've we've got to go through those phases, if you will, and make hunting fun. That's it. it, it now, so, basically, we have to get away from the monoculture mindset. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think there's so much about... When you say fun, there is a ton of fun when you shoot a mature deer, but there is a that's oh, a, that's yeah. the peak of the mountain. Yeah. If you when you start talking peak mountain, you got to talk valleys too. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more valleys when you're shooting for mature deer. There's a lot of seasons where you're eating tags, and unless you're in some great wonderful place but for the for the most you mean fairyland fairyland <laughs> of of uh recreational farm and everything's yeah perfect yeah um and that's the one of the biggest problems in the monoculture mindset now in the monoculture mindset for some of the other popular conversations that you hear we're going to go through a lot of the scenarios of what happens if you fall to that um philosophy so we talked about the overpopula- overpopulation um, increases chances of diseases, and it lowers long term. It lowers the production or potential of bucks um, if if you are only harvesting mature deer, um, mature bucks. Then you have the mindset of the single season, basically single season mindset. Explain what you have there in your notes. Oh yeah, that's when we we really just kind of. Uh, put deer in a box if you will if we just are out there during as a hunter or, or you know just studying the white-tailed deer during the fall time you know let's say october 1 through uh december if we're just looking at their habits and behaviors and what they're foraging on or this and that just at that small window of the year i mean that's that's a third of the year um so if we're just looking at 33% of their behavior throughout a given year, we're, we're missing, we're not understanding that deer to its fullest extent. So we have, a again, a, a mindset, a monoculture mindset of deer do this, or they only do this, or my deer don't do that. And it's like, when, when are you looking at these deer? Yep. Because my deer, or deer in general, will do X. But everyone's time is focused solely on, on on trying to figure out what deer are going to do this fall, not how they're using habitat throughout the entire year. And, and I think that it tends to put us, because we, we're, we're limiting our experience or our observations about deer, it limits our knowledge, and then we share it with a monoculture mindset of what deer only do this i think and i know we've talked about with your brother but if we say in biology or science across so many different types of fields it doesn't matter but if we say that never happens well i someone will bring up a picture or something to share share i've seen it happen like a deer never eats a baby bird 
and two years ago we saw this video of a deer eating a baby bird. Not because it was deer aren't scavengers. We've seen deer um, eating out of a gut pile before. Yeah, like we've we've seen that. Does it happen often? No, it does not. But there are those occasions where you can't hardly ever say deer will never do this, and and that's where we have that mind. We have to get away from that mindset of just understanding deer in a certain portion of the year. That if you will, monoculture mindset. Monoculture in this is a time frame and putting deer into this certain category because we know that deer do a lot of different things that they than what they do in the fall in the springtime, basically. That's right. And in the summertime, they're not going to bed in the same place. They're not going to feed on the same thing Well, because it's different. It's a whole different time of the year. They utilize everything differently. Deer um, would never eat a brassica. My deer never eat brassica. Turnips is a great example. And uh, it varies regionally. It's a, uh, <laughs> deer ham a deer don't care about my my red oaks. Deer, deer don't care never about my eat oaks. sun hemp. I saw that one recently. Yeah. Well, that's because they didn't know what it is and probably yeah. you planted it one year and that was it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they will eat it over time. De- my deer never my cows never eat ragweed. I that's love it. that one. Oh yeah. Yep. Really? Yep. That's a fact, huh? Yeah, the same, so many scenarios here. And, and that's where, again, we, I, I guess we would say you can have that mindset. You can, but then you're only you're, – you're, It's um, not a good one. <laughs> yeah, your mindset sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you're limiting your education on a species or an animal that you care so deeply about. You open it up a little bit, I think, and, and, and share that open mindset. I, I, I say this because – we're on social media. We see it. We see this like, I don't know, I call it bickering back and forth. It's like, oh, that never happens. This happens. That always happens. You never, you're wrong. When we Not say something, area. never. Like, Relax, guys. That's it. It could have happened. Okay? Yeah. I believe it. Turkeys never roost down there on that one. Next morning. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, man, they do. They don't They don't roost on that pine limb up there. Yeah. They don't roost in my pines. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, they roost in pines at other places. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. It happens. Oh, the next one. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that's a dangerous one. This is, yeah, a Not toe a smasher one. one. But the kill coyote mindset. And and if if we offend or whatever, please go back to a podcast. Is a coyote really to blame? Where we break this one down. Way more than five involves, minutes in yeah. a podcast. It's a, a podcast devoted <laughs> to the coyote. And kind of our mindset on him. But this one, again, we go, I'm going to go back real quick to that balance of, you know, the ecosystem, uh, excuse me, I said ecosystem, uh, of a species, gain species. Like if we're, if we're affecting one thing and removing all these coyotes or trying to remove all of them, something else down the line is going to be affected by this. Like that equilibrium, like we're going to have, it's going to try to get back there, but we're going to have highs and lows. And we need to understand that role of the coyote in an ecosystem before we just say or wage war on it. Uh, the, this one, because the coyote is a native species to a, a, a portion of, of America, a pretty large portion at that, and we act like it's a illegal alien. Like it's this thing that we're just like, we must get rid of, like... It, it, it's like, uh, to me, it would be like seeing a uh, pigweed growing in my tomato plants. It's like a demon. 
Yeah. Get cast you out. I, I rebuke you. I rebuke you, Coyote. coyote. Uh, Get out of here. If it's got canines, it's dead. Yeah. And to me, that is like, wow, we are. We've missing... blinded ourselves. We're driving a semi truck with a huge blind spot. Yeah. We, we broke the side mirrors off. And I wish that blind spot would break off and smack him in the forehead. Yeah. Can, can blind spots do that? I, I would hope so. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking, although this Fig Newton oh, yeah, sticker, sticker is dangerous and inconvenient, I, I do love, love Fig, Fig Newtons. Yeah. Um, the ki- kill coyote analogy mindset Phrase. is one of those things. It's like, at the because we see it so much, I don't want to shoot does. I'll quote or make kind of the scenario, I don't want to shoot does because I don't want to educate and mess up some of the mature deer i don't want to shoot does because i like seeing deer i don't want to shoot does because i don't feel like i do have a a great i feel like i can hold more deer i don't have time to shoot does i don't have time to shoot does i don't know what i would do if i did shoot 20 does but in the next instance say but i'll kill every coyote i see Dadgum right i i'll shoot every coyote that comes by me and yet in here in the midwest where they are native it's like what what are you saying with that statement because they're doing the job that you're not doing yeah and just because they may run down and kill one buck out of however many that's just like i that do coyotes typically target Mature deer, mature buck. A mature and, buck that's completely healthy. No, but everyone has seen that daggum trail camera series where they're all, it's like three coyotes nipping at that one uh, yeah. buck in velvet. And it's like, we don't know what was wrong with that buck. It, it killed, you know, you know, you get that story down. Same thing happened to my deer. Must yeah. have. Must have. It's like, Must have. I, I'm going to say, doubt it. It could have because that, you know, we're, we don't want to get in that monoculture mindset that never happens. But typically speaking, that's not the coyote's game. We, we we use this analogy a lot in our consulting, everything, and it's the play the numbers. Yeah. And it goes down to we use it a lot when it's like this is the access route. route. Boy, I got a real bad southern twang on that one. Route. Route. This is the access route. Go down that route if you want. And... Most of the deer are going to be there, and they're going to be coming back to over there. And we're not saying that you're gonna that you're never going to jump a deer walking this route, but numbers wise, your most of the deer are going to be doing from point A to point B, and you're walking by point D or whatever. Like playing the numbers. Route, your first route, sixty percent of the time, you're jumping deer. This route, it might be twenty. Yeah. I'd rather take the 20% chance. That's right. We're playing the numbers. And to me, when you look at coyotes and saying they predate on your mature bucks, numbers-wise, that doesn't happen very often. A coyote is too dang smart to waste a whole bunch of energy to chase a completely healthy deer down. Now, what he will chase down is a buck who's been injured in a fight and he's got a really bad leg or a car, a deer that's been hit by a car or a doe who's run down. Or they or might a, just have a sickness and they're just low energy. They might look relatively healthy, but maybe they just find themselves... You Like like us, we could have a fever. 
Yeah. They look relatively healthy from the outside or just from a trail camera, but internally there's stuff going on. That's right. And so that's when we get into the coyote of going, okay, he's hunting down the weaker animals in the herd. Or he was just in a really bad spot. That's it, yeah. And that, you know, that happens. That's How nature. many times are you going to see a, a coyote? I've seen it a lot on big fields where he comes out and he may run or try to sneak into the herd where they're browsing. How many times does he actually catch one? Oh, no. Not very often. Well, and I've seen it more and more regular is the deer, if there are a good number of them, they'll just kind of not surround it, but they're all pick their head up. They're all very alert. And he's yeah. like, oh. I ain't wasting my time and just skirt the food plot and they might bounce to the edge. They'll come back out. And I think it was minor disturbance. There's a research facility out of Texas that focuses on quail. And I believe they called them buffer Buffer prey. And that's when we went into a whole one on the rabbits and the small game species and, and using that, that phrase buffer prey of the coyote. If you're, if you're doing your job and, providing the habitat that they need that the that the landscape needs to provide healthy populations of of species of small game through big game you're going to have plenty of small game that are probably going to be more of a buffer prey to where the coyote spends more time chasing rabbits and mice and small birds than he is trying to run down a healthy deer yeah no doubt then we have the other uh, several others, and we got 10 minutes left, so we're going to kind of go through these. We have the financial monoculture. This is when you see it from a financial standpoint of planting monocultures, whether it be soybeans, corn, um, completely cool season perennial pastures of, of basically fescue or smooth brome, um, or you go into the trees of pines, walnuts, pecans, apple orchards, and and there's ways to manage around that. What does that mean for hunting and habitat? Well, for habitat, it's not great. Now, soybeans is a wonderful forage for deer, but guess what? For a select a couple. I mean, from honestly, from it's it's May to October. May to October, or that's if it. you have great pods, and that's in the financial <laughs> monoculture. So they're harvesting in October, and then it's yep. just spill grain. It's it's a desert from October, November, January, February, March. April. I think that was seven. I stopped counting halfway yeah. through. Um, that's a that's maybe a it's six. That's that's half the year that you're not getting hardly anything. So then you add in cover crops to that. And at least you have other food, and now you're building soil health or helping soil health, uh, helping erosion. That's a way to really help with the overall um, benefit in a financial monoculture. When you go into the tree stuff, is trying to have something growing underneath that's providing better forage because what is a deer getting out of walnut trees? <laughs> Not much, Shade. especially when they're mature. <laughs> Shade. Um, and then you go into like pecans. That's the same thing, the same way as the walnut. Um, there's so many things. When you go into the financial monoculture, which we see because you most of the time have to make money off the land, to own the land, but there are ways to where you can diversify. Big shocker that we use that word on this one to where you have benefit, but you also have financial benefit. Yep. Food plots. We've talked about this one on the whole podcast devoted to monocultures and food plots, 
But when you look at it from a standpoint, how can you, how does the monoculture mindset hurt your food plots? I want to think of it like this. Here's a little scenario. And we'll just keep it since our society is so focused on money. Let's just hear me out and play this little game we're going to call. Like uh, the price is right. Yeah. It's a little game. And let's just say naturally occurring food plot or naturally occurring area that you have put into a food plot first year. There is $100 in that soil. You grow a crop and you add twenty dollars for fertilizer and lime or whatever so you have 120 dollars in that soil you plant a crop and that crop grows up and takes forty dollars out of the soil and the deer eat that forage and carry that money elsewhere and defecate it out to where it's it's piled up money scattered out on the landscape and you now had $120 minus four. You have $80 in that bank. The next year, you plow it under again and disc it up. And, and you put $20 of fertilizer and lime. And the deer once again take, let's just say you lose $50 out of it. Over time, that money bank runs out on the soil. And that is microbes and nutrients out of that soil that's what we're doing when we plant monocultures and we plow and we disc and we do this monoculture mindset of planting one species in a naturally occurring soil bank we have multiple species putting in money if you will into the soil to where they're working together to make money out of air basically and put it into the soil but yet we plant one species and we completely take that from it. We have only legumes or we have only grasses and we're not, and we're just taking nitrogen and we're not putting it back in through legumes and nitrogen fixation. That's the biggest problem I have with food plots of planting monocultures is short term, it's a great benefit. Long term, it's a terrible benefit. And we see it so much, probably more than, we probably see more monoculture food plots and we do diversity food plots it's it's basically i guess in a short comparison is a monoculture food plot is, is a and we're thinking of a long-term uh, scenario here is a liability diverse plantings are an asset because you're improving that resource the soil itself with diversity and getting more out long term instead of completely like every single year with a monoculture coming back in and continuing to put money, if you will, into that soil to get a crop. Then you have the feast or famine scenario with a monoculture food plot to where if you get great rain, boom, you have a wonderful, wonderful crop. And you think, boy, that was amazing. That was that was really good. But then you plant something. Let's, let's use the soybean because we see it so much. You plant a soybean in May, and we get really dry, and soybeans aren't great at handling heat stress and drought and they just kind of do mediocre to where you just get soil baking and the soil health decreases and you don't have great forage because it's all getting browsed down to where there's not a whole lot of regen or or leaves coming back on that's a problem but let's just add in diversity and say that cow peas and lab lab which take heat a lot better mix out with some millets and sun hemp and 
sunflowers. Now we have structure. And I just described the Heritage Blend, by the way, from Stratton Seed. Um, that's what we were looking at this weekend. Check out the post made on August 26th on our Facebook page to check out how diverse We should have taken a picture is. to show the monoculture of beans, which was trying to control some of the – we were using the herb, uh, Roundup Ready resistant soybeans to try yeah. to control some cerisa. Um, and then areas where it wasn't in the same field where we didn't have a lot of cerisa, we planted heritage blend. And look at the difference in forage production and what what we did for the soil. Huge difference. That's the difference between monoculture and, and diversity. Um, timber harvest, that's another one that we see a lot in monoculture. Let's just call it even age timber management to where you have the same age across your landscape. If you're managing that timber, you're going to have all the same age, basically. And when you come into harvest, now you're going, woo, clean slate. And it really, you basically have full canopy, shaded out um, ground to where there's not a lot of herbaceous plants or wood, young forest coming back under that um, closed canopy. So that's a huge problem in the grand scheme of things. So trying to um, manage your timber to where you have the diversity. One of the things, how many people love white oaks? I think a lot of people would like white oaks unless you're in, there's that time of the year where there's acorns everywhere and you say, I don't, I don't like them. them. <laughs> um, and you have the best food plot in the world, but the deer is still staying in the woods. Um, that could be a problem. But for the most part, we all like white oaks. But if I were to say, I love white oaks, I'm going to plant my whole farm in white oaks. That'd be a terrible idea for habitat management. Yeah. It would be just nonsense. You'd, you'd have a lot of deer like late September, early October. You'd but you feed them for a few them. months. You wouldn't be able to hunt them. <laughs> That's it. Everywhere. Yeah, it'd be terrible. And then you would. I mean, you'd spend all summer trying to pick out which tree to to hang in because they all look good. Yeah, everyone loves to hunt white oak. And so <laughs> sassafras makes a great little fruit. It uh, it grows really quickly. It grows in crappy soil, um, and they eat on it a little bit. If we were to say, you know what, I really like the fruits of sassafras, I'm going to plant the whole thing, it'd be a terrible hunting scenario too. Horrible. I just think of it'd be thick as the hair on a dog's back, it'd be terrible habitat, yeah. and it wouldn't be any benefit to other game species. But having them mixed with the oaks is great. Switchgrass monoculture. This is one that just is really popular right now because it's just like that white oak scenario Switchgrass is wonderful. Well, I'm going to plant it everywhere. Well, tell me what forage value there is in switchgrass. Well, I, I think what the issue is, and I want to try to get this out real quick because we're, we're running out of time, but what we've done in nature is take the best out of diverse like the plantings or diverse ecosystem. We've 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 taken the best and attractive things throughout certain portions of the year, like a white oak. We've taken that and said, let's basically put this on a pedestal and say, I want this all, all the time. Let's just like, if you will, worship the white oak. And same thing with switchgrass. Let's let's worship this. But what we've done is take it out of a system, and and try and make it stand alone as one for this extended period of time. But it can't do that. Because what was actually attractive to the whitetail is that whole system working together, not just the white oak. Again, it was that mindset, that monoculture mindset of, oh, well, we just see deer really focusing 
and, and concentrating themselves around White Oaks during October. If we have that time frame mindset, we will put the White Oak on a pedestal, but it's really that overall system that works that the whitetail is attracted to, not the white oak. So we can't just pick and pluck the best things out of nature and expect that we're going to have this wonderful, great, attractive property because it's probably a small time frame that it's beneficial. We need lots of different things. We need that entire system working together to have this balance. It's, it's not just one specific thing. That's right. Switchgrass is a great grass. I absolutely sure. love it. But in a monoculture standpoint, on a broad scheme of things, it's not great. Nope. In, in fact, I, I, I like it in our screens. It's actually part of the Pure Air Native screen that we that we worked with to develop with them. But guess what? There's a lot of other species in there to, to help provide better habitat than just a switchgrass. Um, That's right. And, and even switchgrass in a... If you plant it in the middle of this, like a huge area, let's just say you take 50 acres, you plant it all in switchgrass. Oh my gosh, what a waste! Yep. Um, so definitely try to diversify that. The next one, oh my gosh, you wouldn't imagine, but monocultures of eastern red cedar. Uh, eastern red cedar is a great native species with management. If you see Matt, you posted a picture a week or so ago. Yeah. That had a mix of goldenrod, all kinds of other um, forbs and grasses, but then it had scattered four foot tall east and red cedar mixed in. That's awesome. That's perfect. Send a fire through there in a year or two and set those cedars back, and then you're going to have more growth for the next three or four years. Just restart it all. And, and go over and over and over. Um, but cedar tree monocultures, terrible, terrible, terrible. I know we got to wrap up, so let's go ahead and use one that we, you guys, know we love it. Old field management. This is the monoculture mindset. Old field management. Let's just say a field full of goldenrod, pokeweed. Three thousand to thirty-five hundred pounds of digestible forage a year, and there's cover. That's awesome. It's amazing. But guess love what? It. If you planted your entire farm in it, and your neighbor moved in and he put a food plot in, he's probably got a pretty darn good chance of killing your deer. Yeah. Because Although they're going to thrive off of old field management. Although there's diversity within that one, that, that topic, if you will, that subject of old field management or that stand of old field, you only have old field still, though. We have yes. to have everything else. And, and old field typically has got a lot of annuals in it. And it, frankly, if we get a six-inch snow or a foot of snow, it's not going to be great bedding. It's going to have good pockets of it depending on what species are there, if there are some shrubby um, components to that. But if you plant the whole area in that and you just have four-foot-tall shrubby, maybe it's young oak sprouts, you still don't have the best bedding. So diversify that. You got excited when you said species like a I couple did. sentences ago. This, this whole thing gets me riled up because <laughs> I see it so much. Um, what else we got? I believe that is That's pretty much it. it. Would you rather? Yeah. So I'm I'm pulling this would you rather and I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna tie it into the monoculture. Um so if you want if, if and this is from Ryan Hesse, he's a client of ours and he, he commented this in on an Instagram post. But let's say if we want Adam diversity to respond to these practices, 
which one would be our favorite? Would you rather kill out a field of fescue, cut and remove eastern red cedar, or create bedding thickets through TSI? And, and the end result is more diversity. What is it, what practice would you want to do? I don't think there's a wrong answer for these. Uh, nope. But I would nope. say, in comparison, cutting out eastern red cedar monoculture or TSI bedding area thickets. Or kill fescue. I could one. capitalize on eastern red cedar. I could do removing an invasive of eastern red cedar or a, I don't know if invasive is the right word, but a, a, a punk of a of a, a grower because he crowds out everything. I could cut that out, and by doing that, I'd create a bedding area thicket uh, or kill fescue. It, I would have to ask, really, what's going on in the neighborhood, but from a grand scheme of things. Just, just to from that you the, know that it's going to get the most diversity. I'm killing fescue most That's likely. That's what I'm going with, too. Um, Unless it's a glade of eastern red cedar, and then I might yeah. say, boy, that's going to be fantastic. But just in the kill fescue, eastern red cedar, I know I'm going to get a lot of food and probably a lot of cover by just killing fescue. That's what I'm going with so, as well. Let's yep. just say it's all in, they're all 30-acre chunks. I'm going to get yep. a huge game by killing fescue. So. Yep. Anyway. Um, I'm right there as well. Any other would you rather? Uh, I don't have anything right now. That one, to me, I, I like that one. But would you rather have... A, I'll go with the last little segment that I didn't cover. Would you rather have closed canopy forest or would you rather open that up with TSI or something uh, like a woodland rest, restoration and have the chance of having a lot more invasives come up? Um, we got asked this question. We both know what we're going to say, but we got asked this question at the QDMA National Convention when we spoke down there in July um, of the concern of opening up the canopy and just – and then letting invasives grow up. We would rather have one step closer to the overall end game and open up that canopy, let the sun come down, knowing that full and well invasive is going to come up. But at least some of those invasives, for the time being, are going to be more covered than what was there in the closed canopy forest. Well, and that's the thing. I, I think the, the example to make this clear is... We're not advocating for invasives, No, 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 not at all. And, and if it's necessary, we may treat the invasives first and then go and open up the canopy. Yeah. But we don't want to basically sit on our heels and just have an open canopy. I mean, uh, a closed canopy and invasives underneath of it. We would rather actively manage it and say that canopy will get open, whether we control invasives first or we cut the trees, open up the canopy and let sunlight in and then come back and control and it, be, what we need it may to. be a, m- Multiple step process. It, it will open be. up the canopy, kill the invasives, or kill the invasives. Open up the canopy, kill the invasives that come up because of the increase in sunlight, and then keep burning it and trying yeah. to do that. That would be much better than sitting on our hands and saying, uh, "I'm just gonna let it go. I'm just gonna leave it." Close That's too canopy. much of a headache. Yeah, we got we gotta Whew. attack things the way they need to be attacked in habitat management. Don't let things go idle and unproductive. That's right. Well, hopefully you guys Ooh. enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time. We'll see ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. 
feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? 